0: deep dive spirituality conversations podcast i'm your host brian russell and today it's my privilege to have on the podcast jesse eubanks he's here to talk about his newly released this book releases on january 23rd 2023 uh, how we relate understanding god yourself and others through the enneagram Had several interviews with Enneagram experts and this is one of the very best. Jesse explains the Enneagram in incredibly helpful and clear ways that brings it back to what the goal of this podcast is and in my own work which is deep transformation, deep spirituality, deep personal growth for the sake of living out our mission in the world. Jesse is a certified Enneagram coach. He's also the host of the Enneacast podcast as well as the founder and director of an exciting ministry called Love Thy Neighborhood, which is an urban missions agency that puts young adults under the front lines of missional work and nonprofit sorts of things. You're going to love this conversation. I found uh, Jesse to be an incredibly clear communicator. I was helped by listening to this, and I hope that it blesses and serves you as well. If you have questions, uh, please feel free to reach out to me at deepdivespiritualitygmail.com. At you can look at my webpage brianrussellphd.com for information about coaching, books, past episodes of this podcast. And I'd also encourage you, if you found this episode helpful, would you leave a review and perhaps share it with a friend? Let's jump into the conversation with Jesse. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse. Hey, glad to be here. Now, congratulations on your your book, How We Relate: Understanding God, Yourself, and Others Through the Enneagram. Uh, just to kind of jump into things, uh, I've had a little a, a short bio at the at, in the intro, but can you just give listeners maybe just a brief narrative of some of the pivotal moments in your faith journey that have led up to this time and that have now inspired you to be a, become an author here of, of a really great book on the Enneagram, How We Relate
1: yeah so kind of my my main areas of interest and passion in life would would have to do with um social actions so service to the poor um and uh building really healthy relationships but doing it all um with a, a, a commitment to formation in Christ and so um you know born and raised in Louisville had uh, a high school moved out to Oakland California after hearing uh, somebody preach a sermon about uh, there being over 2000 passages of concern about God, uh, God's concern for the poor that was a game changer for me that was not taught in the tradition i grew up in and out of that experience really became committed to stepping into um a lot of hardships uh, that that people experience in life. So, worked at a homeless shelter for nine years, uh, and in the course of that, working at the shelter, um, you know, this may be a shocker to some of your listeners, but we would spend our days talking to people about the love of Jesus mm-hmm. while secretly bickering and not getting along and not trusting each other. And it was in the course of that journey that somebody introduced me to the Enneagram. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, and at this point I lead an organization called Love That Neighborhood and uh, we produce podcasts, workshops, and books to help people walk in the life and lifestyle of Jesus. Uh, and so uh, part of what we do is our missions program is like the Peace Corps with Bibles. Uh, our, Podcasts uh, are like if you baptized NPR, you would get our show Love That Neighborhood, and then our workshops uh, are all about the Enneagram.
0: Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm just curious too. Is just as an author, uh, and we do have some folks that are interested in writing books that listen and write in from time to time. Any tips that you learned? What 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 did you learn in the process of writing your book that you might pass on to other maybe aspiring
1: authors? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I did. I learned so much. You know, this is, this is my, my first book. And um, for certain uh, there were a couple things The for me uh, doing daily writing became a really big deal. The ability to just get up and set a timer. I mean, you here, I'm sitting right here. So this is a visual timer and I literally would, you know, go, okay, I'm going to write for 20 minutes uninterrupted. And I would stick to that. Um, And so the discipline of writing every single day for a set amount of time, that's the only way I could cross the finish line. But for me, the second piece would be, um, and not everybody can do this, but uh, I just got away every now and then. And that was really crucial. So I would go away for two days, three days, five days, and really sort of immerse myself. I used to be a musician. And when we'd record albums, sometimes you just have to Lose yourself in the studio and in the music and writing can be a similar process that every now and then you just got to do a deep dive, but you know, it's always a trick. Don't do it so deep that you burn all your relationships because then it's counterproductive. But uh, yeah, those two things. So stick to the writing schedule and occasionally try to get away and immerse yourself. No, that's
0: helpful. Thank you very much. And just to jump in, that's talking about the Enneagram now and talking about your new book, um, how we relate. um, I really appreciated how you framed the Enneagram. Uh, specifically is a tool that helps us understand community and relationships. I mean, in particular, um, it's almost like the classic great commandment stuff, right? God, neighbor, and, and self. Um, again, I've read... Lots of books on the Enneagram. Well, not lots, probably five or six of them. But And I just really liked that angle that you came into it. What, what factors led you to seeing that and allowing you to organize your thinking about the Enneagram in such a helpful way that, you know, clearly has its roots in scripture then as well?
1: Yeah. So um, when I was first introduced to the Enneagram, it was by a guy named uh, Dr. Richard Plass. And Rich Plass is with an organization called Crosspoint Men- ministry. And um, Rich is who eventually taught me about the Enneagram and uh, his sort of foundational approach, uh, their approach, they call it the relational Enneagram. And there's actually a workbook you can buy and everything, go through their trainings. But uh, what I didn't realize, you know, because I went on to read, I don't know, 25 books on the Enneagram or something, only to then circle back around to their teaching and realize, man, these guys these guys had it right from the beginning um so i appreciate lots of other people's teaching but that that relational foundation the belief that the purpose of life is relationships that everything in life exists for the good of something else that, that there's nothing truer than the fact that we are relational beings um that uh that defined everything for me because that really becomes the purpose of the enneagram right is It's a tool in order to help us have more self clarity in order to do relationships better, not for some sort of narcissistic pursuit, not to get ahead at work, you know, um, but really for the purpose of going deeper with the Lord and deeper with other people.
0: And can you just uh, for just a couple minutes back up? Because I'm actually just thinking, uh, you know, we've, I've done some interviews on Enneagram before, but maybe this somebody's listening for the first time and they're like Enneagram, what's that? Uh, I mean, if how do you actually introduce it briefly to, but to maybe a person that you're even going to use the tool with it, but they've never heard of it? So what what is the Enneagram?
1: Yeah, the Enneagram is um, it has very mysterious origins that that become very complicated to even talk about. So I'm not even going to attempt to do that, but. Um, sometime within the last 50ish years it uh, became a um a system by which uh people attempted to to map personality um and unlike maybe myers briggs um this deals with motivation mm-hmm. there are essentially nine key desires that all of us as human beings have and um, one of those desires becomes a chief desire. We want that thing more than any any of the other eight. And it's so profound that we organize our personality around that desire. Um, the other aspect of the Enneagram that it explores is the idea that um, our personality is made up of um, of what we feel, of what we think, and what we do. And that actually we prioritize one of those things more than others, emotions, thoughts, or uh actions or bodily instincts. Um, one of those we are all about. Um, and that it actually comes at the expense of the other two. So, uh, so the Enneagram is just this uh this means by which we can begin to understand, you know, to again to use uh Rich Plass's language, the way that we um the way that we perceive, the way that we process, and the way that we present, um, and none of us do it the same. So, other other typing systems sort of can be reductionistic at times. The Enneagram is allows for people to be very complicated um, and allows us to uh, to have all nine of these different personality types. Sort of, they're all present within us.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip around on my questions because I really was intrigued by what you just said. Um, I liked how you um, at the uh, I forget which chapter it was, but it was in the area where it's how do you discover your type to be illuminating? Because I mean, I think um, I mean I've taken different Enneagram tests, and there are like you can go on Google and find free ones. You can pay for them. I've um, I've been at workshops where they use them, but it seems like. You're, you just essentially seem to be advocating, you can correct me, that you essentially study the different um, types and through the process of real self reflection. And then I think wisdom from close friends that know us well, at least know us well in certain contexts, that we sort of discover the type rather than taking a test to tell you the type. Is that, uh, is that, would you, is that, that's essentially the way you advocate folks uh, working out their types?
1: Yeah there's there's you know in the world of the enneagram there's two approaches there's the approach that is pro type and I'm sorry pro test and there's the type that is anti test and I'm I'm sort of in the middle I I believe in tests but I believe that they only show us where to be curious uh they show us where to pay attention so they're not like going to the doctor and getting like your white blood cell count taken it's not right. like that it's it's just going to show you these are things to be curious the other thing about test too they the results tell me more about how you see yourself than necessarily what is empirically true mm-hmm. and so the role of community and friends you know asking them how do you experience me and letting them speak into your life um, I, I think you're going to get more honest uh, and accurate responses. And then, of course, the, the the community that is not so into tests, understandably, they're called the narrative tradition. And, and those folks are are exactly what you've said. Let's sit down. Let's talk about our life stories. Let's process together. And as we look at the nine types, one of them will emerge. And typically, you know, for better or for worse, the one that usually emerges, the one that strikes us is usually when we feel the most embarrassed, you know, we usually get to one out of the nine. And as it's being described, we go, oh, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm, you know, everyone right now can just see through me. And there's a sense in which, oh my gosh, all this dark stuff, people have been experiencing this from me. And I've had no awareness that they've been experiencing it. And so for a lot of people, they know they're typed for the first time when they start to feel embarrassed as they explore all nine.
0: Yeah, I saw that in your list. That's actually kind of a funny one. But I actually, it does actually make sense when I think about going back and reading what my own types are. And the, sometimes when I've taken tests, you end up coming really close. And then you're like, yeah, I can see I'm more embarrassed about this one thing. I think that, That's actually, yeah, that's kind of funny. But I actually like that one a lot. That makes a lot of sense. Is it possible? Can you have a, more than one type? Like before we got on the call, you were saying you thought you were this and then you realized you were something else. Do, do you think you change a little bit? Is it possible to be really close? I mean, how do, you, how do you talk to folks that are like, maybe they're stuck between two and maybe they're equally embarrassed by two even?
1: Sure. Yeah. Any um, I uh, i ERM teachers teach that uh, you only have one core type. Mm -hmm. And if somebody identifies as a certain type, and then as the years go on, they change types, all they've really done is corrected a mistake. They misidentified it first, and now they're actually just realizing, no, I'm actually this other thing. And that, again, comes back to a lot of stuff uh, related to motivation. So let me give you an example. For ten for the last ten years, I have identified as a type four, and in light of my story, my four stuff made total sense. Um, I was often the black sheep in a lot of scenarios that I went in. I lived in neighborhoods where I stuck out a lot. Um, I was culturally the oddball in the places of ministry where I worked, um, and all that stuff. That's very sort of four originalist. Uh, you know, the sort of aching artist sort of stuff. Um, but as the years have gone on i'm not really as driven by the need for authenticity as i'm driven more by that three stuff which has to do with um the the need to be valuable and if you ask me which of those two things would you pick if you had to pick one either authentic uh, authenticity or being valuable the truth is i'm i'm going to pursue the being valuable and that for me in uh in the course of writing the book became very apparent and something that i had to come to terms with. Um, Because, uh, you know, back to the point of embarrassment, there was a sense of um, there was a a sense of like, I could only see the dark side of the three stuff. And I really didn't want to be identified with those things. I didn't want them to be true. And it didn't change the fact that they were true. And the best thing that I could do was become honest about that. And honest with God and the people around me so that I could begin to do the work and take ownership, and also own my gifts. Um, and and so, uh, so yeah, so for folks, you know, that are, that are on that journey, don't be surprised. So I say like, like this, like, um, take the car out of the lot and drive it around for a while, see if it feels like the right one for you. And if over time you begin to realize something just doesn't fit quite right, um, you know, start asking for feedback, be open to some other suggestions.
0: Yeah, I really love that too. So um, thank you. What would you say, um, curious, go back to your your ministerial context, you talk about you've you worked a lot in the urban areas, you have uh, you were really converted early on to uh, focus working with the poor, you mentioned all the texts and the scriptures, and again, I love the very fact that you just hear the text and wow, look at all these passages, I got to do something about that. So that's, I think that's really cool, cool part of your story in, well, you know, and I had this question already. My original question was going to be talk about how your experience in ministry with the poor impacted your understanding of the Enneagram. What was funny is I think the first thing you said, it was maybe we weren't even on recording yet. You talked about it was being in ministry and you realized um, it wasn't even getting it so much from the poor, but just your ministerial work. Can you just talk about your ministerial context and how that led you to see um, the need for the kind of work you can do with the Enneagram? And I'd also be curious insights that you got from the persons you
1: were serving that helped you to use the Enneagram better as well. Sure. Yeah. So I was on staff um, at a homeless shelter for nine years. And um, so we'd spend every day, you know, working with our city's poorest, most vulnerable citizens, folks coming in off the street from just horrific scenarios. And, And every day we would talk about the hope of Jesus and how Jesus can transform you and how uh, the love of Christ can make your life so much better. And yet, you know, we were just struggling, struggling to trust each other and second guessing each other and wrestling. Um, And, uh, you know, years later, I read this stat um, that the number one reason that missionaries leave the field is other missionaries. You know, it's not it's not lack of funding. It's not persecution. It's not even lack of fruit. It's the fact that we as Christians just don't know how to do relationships well. Um, and uh and 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 that became a real focus for me, I think in part because of um, yes, you know, I I want to see ministries be fruitful. So sure, that was a part of it. But I also think from this other perspective, which is um my background, I come from a um, very broken home. And, uh, my parents divorced when I was very young and, uh, both my parents just had very limited relational tools. And, um, and of course, you know, when you have limited relational tools and you're trying to raise these kids, that it just makes a really difficult environment. And so when I became a Christian and then as a young adult really began to immerse myself in the church, the church became my family. I needed the church to be a place that was healthy. I needed the church to be a place that people knew how to love each other and do life together. And every time that either I or somebody else, you know, are showing up and we're doing relationships really poorly, um, there was a much deeper threat for me as a person than say somebody who had a really intact, healthy family and big deal that the church isn't all that healthy. We've got each other. Well, that was not my story. I needed the church to, to be more than that. Um, and of course, you look in the scriptures, I mean, and, and in so many ways, it can be said that uh, the world will, will know that we are Christians by our relationships. And so our capacity to do relationships well, or our capacity to do them horrible, um, it will in so many ways determine whether the world will believe that God is real and that God is who he says he is, or he's who we say he is. Um and so uh so yeah so so my desire to do relationships well came out of a place of you know there there were four guys on this ministry team and we met well but we were just broken people mm-hmm. and and we and we had to kind of begin to figure that out and it had to start with we had to grow in our self awareness and understand what am i doing that's making this worse and how can i do things better um to to love the other people around me better so, and then your, you know, your other aspect of what you asked is just sort of how did, um, you know, doing urban ministry, working in a shelter, and I've I've lived in a couple different, um, at risk neighborhoods. Um, how did that influence sort of my approach to the enneagram? Um, I think, uh, I think in a very similar way. I mean, I've worked with a lot of guys, you know, that were in recovery, mm-hmm. and and there, th- there's no way around this. Like, all of us as people, uh very, very deep wounds. And we are also people who have deeply wounded others. And um our, our worst sins usually come out of our deepest wounds. And um and for so many of the guys that we worked with, they lived such horrible life stories, but had never had anybody that in any way slowed down to help them understand the story that they had lived and how it was showing up, you know, in addictions or in dysfunction and uh and so i think that that only furthered my curiosity of the sense of all of us behave exactly as our life story dictates we should and so what's the story that's driving us as people and how do we how do we invite god into that or or maybe a better way of saying it how do we recognize that god has always been there mm-hmm. and how do we and how do we trust him with that story
0: yeah really like that um and i i really appreciated i think it was the like the header to the conclusion, a little, what your quotation, everybody want to call that you, you wrote something like the Enneagram helps us to see the way we relate, but Jesus transforms the way we relate. And uh seems like your whole book, that's what it's driving towards. Seems like this conversation is, can, so talk about uh, why that's important and maybe, yeah, just talk about why that's really important and how you're driving this whole book towards this personal transformation so that we can, Love ourselves, love God, love others uh, more profoundly.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, listen i I think the Enneagram is a fantastic tool. I mean, I've clearly I've dedicated a couple of years of my life to writing about it. I, I teach on it. I do a podcast on it. We do workshops. I mean, I am about it. But at the end of the day, the Enneagram is just a tool. It cannot love us into wholeness. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. It is only something that can. Um, it's a mirror. Um, but it is not something that can truly transform us as people. And um, if if uh, if if I was going to dedicate a portion of my life to writing about something, I, I want to write about Jesus because Jesus is the one who has truly transformed everything for me. And um, and so uh, so yeah, so this this book is written with the intention of um, how can we appreciate the limitations of the enneagram as well as the gifts of the enneagram. But at the end of the day, um, all things should lead us into deeper relationship with God and other people and ourselves. Um, and traditional Enneagram teaching, um, you know, there's there's plenty of secular Enneagram teaching that um, has no curiosity about Jesus. Um, but the truth is that if you look into the Enneagram, it will naturally draw deep existential questions. Who am I?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, where am I in life? Uh, how am I doing? Am I living as a moral and good person? It's 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 pulling out these desires that feel so huge and overwhelming, and in many ways, it draws out desires that we are scared to even recognize because what if they never get fulfilled? Um, and so the enneagram like causes us to sort of like, oh my gosh, this is all the deep stuff going on in the train of my soul. Well, good grief, what are you? do with all of that, um, you better have somebody to take it to that can hold those things. And man, praise God, because Jesus can. Um, Jesus can hold all those things.
0: Yeah, I want to ask some questions about the process, too, because I think your book is laid out really well. But before we get there, you alluded to this um, one point I wanted to follow up on a little bit, which is... (laughs) Um, what are some ways you mentioned a couple that people either misunderstand or maybe misuse uh, the enneagram that you've seen? Oh my
1: gosh, good grief, man! There are so <laughs> many ways. Like, and I think I think the big one is um, people weaponize it. You know, yeah. they turn each other into caricatures. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's like you know, almost like a party trick. It's like, oh hey, w- what's your type? You know, oh you're a seven, and then immediately they think like. Oh, you're just a, you know, fun loving, you know, addict, you know, or whatever. And, um, um, and there's a real temptation to reduce people and there's a real temptation as well, um, to try to guess all the time. And even then, if we only have like a, um, a very like fly by understanding of each of the nine types, um, the real danger is that. We one of the gifts of the enneagram is its complexity. It allows people to be complicated people. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, but if you only know the like just skimming the water, there's a real temptation just to reduce people, um, you know, uh, into caricatures. So I, th- I think the biggest one is, is that. The, the other one I would say is um, there's also a temptation to uh, to use the enneagram purely as a diagnostic tool. And to not in any way enter into the responsibility of transformation. Um, and so a lot of people will come to the Enneagram and just go, oh, well, that's just why I do what I do. And use that as an excuse for bad behavior um, when the reality is that, no, we are disciples of Jesus. And as disciples, he's calling us to be transformed. And so, um, so, yeah, so don't weaponize it to hurt people. And, uh, and also don't use that as an excuse. You know, if you're being a jerk, that's not the Enneagram's fault, you know, yeah, that's, that's on funny. you.
0: That's good. It's good. Yeah. And that's one of the things let uh again, I want to take the, all the, all the fire out of your books. There's just so much good depth here, but when you get into transformational practices, I, I, one of the things I appreciated, and again, I'm a three on here. And so, you know, I can go right to the book and I can see descriptions of that. And then at the end of each, I guess it's what each chapter. Yeah, you have each of the types as a chapter. Um, you get like practices, and and it was just kind of fun. It's like, oh, I wonder what my practices are, and then I get there, and I'm t- and it's like a, a study, and I'm like, oh, okay, I, I got that, so I've been doing my whole life. But then I'm like practice confession, and I was like, I don't want to do that. And then, but then I thought, <laughs> and then I thought, you know what, I'm 53, and that makes a ton of sense now. And I'm thinking, I wish somebody would have told me that when I was younger, because I am in more, I mean, small groups and those can have those kind of relationships now, but I love that actually, because it was like, and it, it is almost like I just almost like to wanted to recoil off of that, even though I am in groups where I can make confessions and stuff. So how did you come up with the practices? Um, yeah, and if, and if somebody is just getting started when they're reading your book and they run into that, it's like, how do you suggest people like really get started with the practices?
1: Yeah. So each of the chapters concludes with, uh, you know, sort of the movement of the chapters is um, there's there's we explore everybody's childhood. So these are the themes we go through their false self and the development of that. We go through their encounter with Jesus and then the gospel message that Jesus gives to each of the types a virtue that they can step into as a disciple. And then it concludes with these two practices uh, for each of the types. There's the downstream practice for each type, which means those are the ones that are gonna come more naturally to you and then there's the upstream practice meaning you're going to put on some muscle the stream is working against you um and those come from uh, a really wonderful um anglican priest named aj Sherrill. and oh, he yeah. wrote uh he wrote the book the enneagram for spiritual formation um also a 3 aj is also a 3 and um uh and he uh he was the one that introduced those in his book and um and so yeah so so the idea though is Um, let me, let me say it this way. All of us in various ways are addicted to our way of being. We are in a trance. This is what we think is going to work for us. This is what gives us value. This is what we think about when our head's on the pillow. All of us in some capacity are addicted. The spiritual disciplines are an attempt to follow Jesus in such a way that they begin to break us free from our addictive ways of relating and being, which is to say, so for me as a three, it's very tempting for me to believe that so long as I'm adored and liked and have the positive regard of other people, that I'm I'm loved. Stepping into the spiritual disciplines of study and confession remind me that my value actually has nothing to do with my performance. Um, And when I confess to other people, hey, I... I sinned, I did this thing, I'm incredibly embarrassed and ashamed about it. And they respond by loving me, then I have I can begin to realize I don't have to put on a good face in order to be loved, that I'm loved just as I am. And if these guys or this or my wife, you know, if they can love me in this broken state, I can begin to believe that God loves me this way too. Um, and so the spiritual disciplines, there are there are different practices for all nine types, all with the intention. To break the addictive way of seeing the world
0: yeah thank you very much and ju- and just for the listeners uh i actually had aj on about his book whenever that came out a couple years ago or whatever so i'll put a link to his conversation too and uh uh, yeah, no, I didn't go. I was just, yeah, I didn't even think about going back and looking at the practices. So that's kind of cool that uh, you guys are in conversation with each other because I think that was that was really helpful too. And I like the upstream, downstream ideas on the practices too. And that's um, that's really good building those spiritual um, muscles. I talk a little bit about um, the language of true self and false self. Um, you know, I've, I find that language super helpful. Um, it's not technically in the scriptures. Well, sore, it could be, you could say the false self would be like the flesh or something like that. I don't know if it's how you think about that or or not, but talk about how um, you use that. It's kind of psychoanalytical language it goes back to Carl Jung. Um, I, I think it's super helpful. So you don't have to defend it to me, but I'm just curious, like, how do you understand it? And how have you found that to be helpful language with uh, people that you're, you're working with?
1: Yeah, I think every now and then we need to... Um, uh, bring in slightly different language to talk about ancient ideas and and we bring in this other language only because there's a danger of familiarity, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, the false, the the false self, the true self, we are, we're talking about the spirit and the flesh. I mean, we are, we are really talking about who am I in Christ? So who am I when I'm in a trusting relationship with him and I'm realizing who I am, I'm living out of that and I'm living out of the day. Uh, fully, and then the false self is the part of me that is I have subconsciously built in order to build an identity, or to feel secure, or to gain the freedom that I'm seeking. Um, and uh, and again, going back to um, you know Crosspoint Ministry, Rich Plast, Jim Cofield, uh, they they talk a lot about this this false self and true self. But then they introduce this really great idea, which is the express self. And the express self is you know, right now, you know, Brian, you and I both, we are express selves and that is our true self and our false self, both, you know, mixed into this dirty cocktail that's showing up right now. Um, and, um, and so we are a mixture of, of, of purity and brokenness. We're a mixture of goodness and evil. We're a mixture of great motives and horrible motives. Um, and, um, and so, yeah. So the the, the true self and uh, and the false self, I think, is helpful language. Also, from this regard, depending on the Christian tradition that you come from, a lot of there can be a lot of emphasis on Jesus calls us to die to ourselves, mm-hmm. and many people interpret that as my desires mean nothing, what I want means nothing, uh, only what Christ wants. Um, And by that, we we seem to have this vague notion of I will cease to exist and somehow I will merge into the Christ consciousness and the rest of us will will as well. But that that is much closer to sort of a sort of a Buddhist concept, not a Christian concept. And so um, the the language of true self and false self allows us to go, okay. well, hold on. Christ came to crucify my false self, to take away the the bonds that are setting me, keeping me captive. And he wants to set me free. And so he did not come to eradicate me so that I ceased to exist. He came to to actually allow me to live into the fullness of who he's always wanted me to be. And so the language of false self and true self, we're, that's what we're reaching for. We're reaching for, for that kind of imagery and picture.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. I thought that was that was just a superb, uh, superb answer. And it just uh just puts in my mind, I always think about um, I'll make this brief because I want to get more from you, but I, I always think about like two prayers. I always say there's two prayers that everybody has to have. Um, one of them is Jesus prayer goes way back, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's that's like that's what the false self needs. But then it's like, like you just said, some streams of Christianity. Just want to kind of um, almost suffocate whatever it was that we are uniquely um, with various things. You know, uh, I thought and that's what I loved about your answer. But then the other prayer that, that I found ultimately is kind of unlocks stuff for me. I thought it sounded heretical when I first heard it. But I kind of lived into it more. And it's um, this comes from a spiritual director. Um, I first heard it from Maxie Dunham. He used to be the president at Asbury Seminary. But he got this from a, a spiritual director named Macrina Vederker, um, Roman Catholic nun. And it's, um, God help me believe the truth about myself, no matter how wonderful it is.
1: Yes. It's <laughs> yes. to
0: kind of tease that out. And uh, I love the kind of the balance, the way that you describe both of those things.
1: Yes. Yeah. And and I think we're all on this journey, right, to truly believe that Christ holds all things together. And that that does mean that I can come and I can go. He's somehow in, in the mystery, he's holding together the really seriously dark, jacked up parts of me that I don't know that I'll ever really be able to come to terms with. Um, uh, but also, he's also holding together these beautiful parts, you know, that truly do reflect him. Um, and so, yeah, so we do, we have to take ownership over, um, the, sin that is diminishing my gifts and the sin that is exaggerating my gifts, but we also have to take ownership of, um, the goodness, uh, that is present and active and how I can live into that.
0: Yeah. Let me just ask you a couple more questions and we'll wrap this up, but thank you. This has been super clarifying. Um, I know for me, um, yeah, I've really. I again, I want to really recommend your book. I've uh, I found it very clear. And um, persons that are trying to work through an enneagram, here's a, basically a spiritual formation tool that you can use with uh, with folks, I guess, in groups or and and. But so, my question though is, and you you hinted some of this. The the um, like the chapters are laid out super clear. I mean, you talk a little bit about the triads, and I think you mentioned that earlier. The feel, think, do triads. That's all in your book around different numbers. Then you, and then you, in the appendix appendices, you start talking about the arrows and, um, and some of the other more complicated things. And so, like, um, and you're smiling, I can see it on the video uh, when you're when we're talking, you're like, So, what do you recommend for a person? Let's say that they've digested your book, um, really interested, they've made progress for doing the practices, and then they are just curious about wings the different arrow things that you can do? I mean, like what 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 are like next steps if like somebody wants to go from beginner to maybe intermediate? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a, I mean, there's a ton of great Enneagram teaching that is out there. Uh, you know, one additional tool that that we offer is that we have a podcast called the Enneacast. And the Enneacast, we cover tons of things, everything from basic 101 stuff Um, our, our season two was literally called, I know my type now what, and we literally go into, um, you know, what do you do? What is the next step? Uh, which is really fundamentally asking the question, how can I change? Yeah. Um, yeah. We go into life story and the role of life story, uh, conflict resolution, the workplace, how does my personality show up in the workplace? But then our most recent season uh, that we are just now concluding is, um, how does my personality influence my relationship and view of God? Mm-hmm. And that question you know, really occurred to us out of this. Um, so many of us believe that our way of seeing God Is empirical truth. We just see it as flat theology. It's like the Bible says it. And then I, but what we don't realize is that our personality often shapes theology around it. And so all of us, in some way, exaggerate one aspect of God, one aspect of the scriptures, and diminish other aspects. And if we don't understand the role that our personality is playing in that, you know, we run into problems. I mean, that's where you get, um, you know, you take the, you know, for you and I, Enneagram threes, you take our, our non-resourceful stuff and you take that all the way to the end, you get Carl Lentz, Hillsong, New York city, you know, standing on stage doing his thing. And he's got celebrities up front and he's behaving horribly, but it's fine. So long as the image is being preserved, you take the non-resourceful eight stuff, you end up with Driscoll, you know, it's, and so, so there's a sense in which, um, we're trying in this new season to help people begin to explore what are the ways in which you're seeing God truthfully? And what are the ways in which your personality is bending the image of God um, in ways that are um, a distortion? Um, and then what is what is the good news of Jesus in light of that? And so, so yeah, so if you're, if you're looking for stuff like that, and then the other thing is we do a bunch of workshops and um, we'd love to have you come hang out with us at those.
0: Yeah. And uh, I want to ask you about the workshops a minute. I just, what you just said just made me uh, really curious. Um, you know, like, um, um, you know, like I noticed even like, for example, in my coaching, you know, I, I'm not going to say everybody's a three, but I have a higher proportion of threes. And I always wonder, is it something about myself that essentially attracts the same people? It happens with Myers-Briggs to end up having a? I I have a front of the rarer types, but I have not again, everybody, but a higher percentage of my folks that work with me end up being <laughs> a similar type. And any thoughts about that? And then maybe team building, do we have to be more intentional to think I need more diversity because I end up attracting people that tend to be like myself? I'm, I'm just curious how you'd respond to that.
1: Yeah, I do. I think um, I think leaders, let me let me answer this part first. I think that leaders that are building teams often end up building teams that are um, that are uh, serving their core needs. And so, um, so like if you get somebody who's got a lot of seven and eight energy, they're going to build a team typically of a combination between people who are really dynamic and big and huge and entertaining and go-getters and people who are very easygoing and are just not going to push back and ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. That's the temptation in the same way. You know, if you're a six, you know, you're going to build a team it's going to be very very reliable very uh you know they say they're going to take care of something you don't need to worry about it but they may also not always be the friendliest or warmest people um because again it's real if if the leader isn't uh able to recognize their own need they'll build a team that's serving their need instead of what is best for the vision and mission of the organization the the other thing too is it doesn't surprise me at all that you know threes like we we just tend to be people that do coaching and, and uh we, you know um we enjoy motivating other people and we love inspiring other people and serving other people um and um and so but it also doesn't surprise me that a lot of your clients would be threes because uh that it's that sort of that goal setting and like how do i fix the problem you know everything is like oh over- overcomable for a three we're like Here's a problem. Okay. Well, what do we gotta to do to fix it? Okay, we'll go find the expert. Okay, let's go sit with the expert and let's fix the problem. And so, um, so we tend to have this uh, you know, this orientation around um, you know, sort of competency and uh let's let's fix the problem. And so, um, yeah, and so I th- I think like a lot of my friends that are threes do a lot of business coaching and um and I don't mean this like in an, in an ugly way, but like we, we can be very pragmatic people, like mm-hmm. very like practical solutions versus, you know, I know other guys that are, you know, like I know a type five. He's not as practical. He tends to be a little more sort of mystical and esoteric is sort of his disposition. And and, and he offers a whole other way of seeing and being that I need, but mm-hmm. he's not necessarily going to give me the five steps to, to resolve the issue that a three is going to give me.
0: Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, uh, just to wrap things up, I'm going to the last question. I want to get back and ask you a little bit about uh, some of your workshops and some other things. But uh, these are the questions I like to ask everybody. And the, the first one would be I mean, you just wrote your very first book. I'm just curious you can even think down the road, like what, what's maybe next for you and, and the, the way I like to frame that, is there a book that maybe, or a project or a mission that you're, that kind of makes you nervous that you're kind of scared about, but you sense that there's maybe a summons at some point, do you have anything that's coming up next or long-term?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um You know, I mentioned our podcast earlier, I mentioned the anycast, but our other show is the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast, and and again that um, that show is we say it's like if you baptized NPR, and um, it's it's journalism, it's storytelling, and typically what we do is we find really complicated topics that Christians are all talking about but that often pulpits either can't or aren't able w- unwilling to address but there are all the things that as soon as we walk out of church we're all sitting around talking about and so um so this coming year um you know this last year honestly after everything going on with sort of 2020, 2021. We um I don't want to say it was a softball year because we still covered really hard topics, mm-hmm. but I think our energy is coming back and we're sort of ready to to hit even harder. So um, so yeah, so we were just talking this week about, you know, doing an episode where the gospel meets artificial intelligence, you know, what would that look like? Um, and um, you know, I don't know. We we've talked about potentially even trying to cover uh, critical race theory and how Christians are all dealing with it from different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, those things are dangerous because inevitably to talk about those things, uh, it elicits strong feelings and, um, and it makes people angry. And so that can be a little daunting, uh, to deal with at times. So, so yeah, I'm looking forward to, to diving into the next season of that. And then, um, yeah, one day I want to, I definitely want to write a memoir. I, that's spiritual memoirs are kind of my favorite genre. And so, cool. uh, so I'd like to do that, yeah.
0: Awesome. And just in terms of a lot, like a lot of this podcast is about spiritual formation and growth, which is what we've been talking about. What um, what patterns, if you don't mind sharing, and you don't have to be any more specific than you want to be, what, 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 what kind of habits, kind of core habits keep you grounded day to day or week to week that uh, you find really helpful for you?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a a couple that that really come to mind uh, immediately, and um, the first one is that I have, gosh, for probably 15 years now. Um, it's been different guys at different seasons, but I've been meeting with at least two other guys uh, on a regular basis for the last 15 years, and I I really do think that that practice of showing up and being able to fall apart with mm-hmm. with other men um has truly transformed my belief and ability that that the lord loves me as i am um and has given me the ability to to be able to i'm I'm much more capable of just confessing and owning up to things i think that i used to be able to um because these guys have helped me uh do it without being swallowed by shame um the uh the other thing is um my my family, you know, I've got, I'm married, I've got two kids, I have a, a um, almost 13 year old and 15 year old. And we, we pray together every night as a family. Um, and as part of that time together, it's, you know, we do celebration, but we also do confession. And I think that, um, I think that for me, again, sort of sitting with my, my children and my wife and going, well, here's the thing and, and confessing it before God and and really feeling that there's no loss of love in the room. Um has, has really, really helped. So those are kind of the 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 two big ones that come to mind. Yeah, beautiful.
0: And here's the base. This may be the hardest question of all. It's uh, you know, outside of the Bible, um, what are two or three books that have been uh, that have really impacted you personally, spiritually? Oh
1: yeah. Okay. Oh man. The the trick here <laughs> is narrowing it down. Okay. So let's uh I'll go in chronological order. I'll give you two older ones that I've read and then I'll give you a newer one. So okay. um when I was 19 and I moved from Louisville, Kentucky, to Oakland, California, I had just finished a year studying the Holocaust, um, and uh, we had Holocaust survivors come in. Um, I just studied uh, for a year doing uh, African-American history. I was the only white guy in my class. Um, and then I moved to Oakland, California, where there's just extreme poverty. All I had to say is my faith was on life support. Uh, I really was not sure whether I could go on believing in a, in a, in God or in a God of love. And then I stumbled across Philip Yancey's, the Jesus I never knew. Wow. And that book blew my mind. Uh, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, if you read, uh, my book now, how we relate and, um, every type I, I'm exploring the character of Jesus and, and really in a lot of ways, in a, in a, tan- in a tangent way, the jesus i never knew was a huge inspiration for that so that's one number two uh would be uh just a few months later i read um this this book um uh, beyond charity uh uh yeah beyond charity by uh dr john perkins oh, and yeah. um john perkins was a, a civil rights activist uh dr perkins is now probably like 93 years old and uh just an incredible man of God. Uh, I will warn you, the book the cover looks so outdated and not hip at all, and it is filled with profound wisdom. Um, and then the more recent book um, would be The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer, um, as uh, as somebody who is notorious for not leaving margin in life. Um, his basic premise is... If you are too busy to Sabbath, then you are too busy to follow Jesus. And um, that we cannot experience the life of Jesus without walking in the lifestyle of Jesus. So fantastic book. Yeah, great books. And this last question would be, what's the best way for folks
0: to find out a little bit more about you or they can get your book? And I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about your um, your workshops. And I believe, is the workshop on the, Instagram, the mapping your life story stuff, or is that something different? So maybe just talk about all those things, if you would. Yeah. And we'll
1: yeah. So, um, okay. So, uh, so first thing, um, if you want to check out our podcast, you can, uh, you can look up either the Iniacast cast or the love that neighborhood podcast, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, the second thing is our workshops. And so we do, we offer a variety of different workshops. We offer some public workshops and private. So if you are in a scenario where you want somebody to come in and do private uh, workshops for your staff, your team, uh, do coaching. Um, we do those things and we also do corporate as well. Um, so we do a bunch of things. Um, the workshops we offer, we offer a mapping your Enneagram story workshop, where we're going to help you walk through your life story and literally map that out so that you can begin to get perspective on why you tick the way that you do. Second one is we offer a workshop called The Nine Types, an introduction to the Enneagram and the Gospel, and that's going to give you a full overview. That one's seven hours, so it's we're going to go really in-depth. Um, but you will walk out at the end of the day um, really having a competency about the Enneagram. And, um, and, uh, and also, I should say, your folks are really going to encounter the Gospel. So even if you're like, uh, the Enneagram is fine, but I love the Gospel, well, us too. So uh, so we really want to make sure your folks do uh, encounter the gospel. And then the third thing is um, the Enneagram in the workplace. So we're going to explore, okay, if I've got this personality, how is it showing up in the workplace? How are they working together? Um, final thing I'll mention is just, um, or let me sorry, two more things is uh, our urban missions program. So young adults 18 to 30. We have the LTN Institute, which is a year long and LTN intensive, which is a summer. Um, we'd love to have folks come serve with us. And then the very last thing uh, is our is my book, How We Relate. And um, you can head over to howwerelatebook.com or just purchase it wherever you prefer. Um, but if you just want to learn about all these things that I've said, head over to org, And uh, we have a brand new website just launched. And uh, yeah, you can find everything you're looking for. Jesse, I want to thank you for a really
0: engaging conversation. Congratulations on the book, and most of all, I want to thank you for sticking with the faith, continuing to grow as a disciple, and coming on and writing a book that to really help other people to experience the love of God and that sanctifying power of the Spirit, so that we can all really be uh, work together to heal the world and uh, anticipate the, the full consummation of the kingdom. So, thank you for sharing your gifts with us today. Well, it's my my pleasure and, plev- and privilege. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for listening all the way to the end of this week's episode of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'll have all the uh, books that Jesse referenced, as well as all the other ways of contacting him in the show notes. And if I could be of any service, uh, reach out. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be voices of hope in the world. Amen.